good to see you all here this morning, to be able to join you online as well. Remember that toy, the jack-in-the-box? You'd wind up the crank on the side of the box, and you'd hear some music play until suddenly a clown jumps out at you. I didn't like it. For me, the music that played while winding up the crank on that box might as well have been the theme from the, mu uh, the movie Jaws. That thing scared me. Now, for other people, they loved that toy. The surprise was a joy and delight for them. Crazy people. Probably say duck, duck, goose instead of duck, duck, gray duck, too. <laughs> in some ways, the day of the Lord is like the uh, jack-in-the-box toy. It is definitely going to happen, and it is near, but we don't know exactly when it will occur. Some may react to it with fear, while others may react to it with joy and delight. The day of the Lord is a concept that is present throughout the entire Bible. It is the phrase denoting the end of time, the day that inaugurates the eternal, universal rule of God. When we think of the end times, many people may want to focus on what will happen on the day of the Lord. We may wonder, what is the mark of the beast and, and how will it function? Or is the Antichrist alive right now and who could it be? With the future being uncertain, our first inclination is to make it certain. Knowing what will happen, how it will happen, and when it will happen. However, we must ask ourselves, is what will happen the most important? Or is it more important to know who is in control of what will occur? Let's look at what God, through the prophet Obadiah, says about the day of the Lord. Turn to Obadiah, verses 15 to 17, with me today. Obadiah 15 to 17, it's found on page 772 of your ESV chair Bible. We continue to read the whole book of Obadiah during the scripture reading because we'll be, we'll be done with this book next week. And so I really want you to know what this book has to say. So we're going to continue doing that. But Obadiah, verses 15 to 17. Let's zero in on the first phrase of verse 15. It says, For the day of the Lord is near. For the day of the Lord is near. Now, the word for is important. It is answering the question of why. When we see this word, it tells us that we need to look back at the previous verses. So verses 1 through 9 detailed the pride of Edom. They placed pride, trust, and security in their defenses, their ability to rebuild, their wealth, their allies, their intellect and wisdom, and their mighty men. Edom's pride deceived them into becoming self-reliant. They trusted in their own strength and wisdom and not in God. This pride led them to commit heinous crimes against God's people. And these crimes are detailed in verses 10 through 14. The Edomites were indifferent, boastful, calloused, opportunist, and violent towards their brother Jacob. At the root of these sins lay pride. And pride loves self instead of God or others. 
Throughout verses 10 through 14, Obadiah resounded like a drum. Do not do this on the day of his calamity. Do not do this. Why? Why should the Edomites not be prideful and trust in the wrong things? Why should they not be indifferent or boastful or callous or opportunist or violent towards their brother Jacob? Why? Why do not do this? Well, verse 15 answers, For because the day of the Lord is near. Do not be indifferent, for the day of the Lord is near. Do not gloat, because the day of the Lord is near. Do not loot or be violent, for the day of the Lord is near. For the day of the Lord is near. The Hebrew word for day, yom, is used 10 times in verses 11 to 14. This rep repetition hammers home the seriousness of Edom's crime against its brother. This concentration on Edom's crimes in the day of their relative's need connects directly to verse 15. Verses 11 to 14 say, Do not do this on the day of their calamity. And then going right into verse 15, For the day of the Lord is near. The day of Edom's crimes is being contrasted with the day of the Lord. For Jacob, the day of Edom's crimes was a day of disaster and destruction and violence. For Edom, the day of the Lord will be far worse. For the day of the Lord is near. The literal Hebrew reminds us that God is personally present. It says, for the day of Yahweh is near. This is the day that God reveals his majesty and omnipotence in a glorious manner. The day that he overthrows all ungodly powers and the day that he completes his kingdom. Obadiah reflects prophetic truths. Two nations had become violent enemies. Edom had let pride grow into hatred and betrayal of their brother Jacob. Obadiah's message could have been a get-even speech of hatred and jealousy and revenge. But this is not Obadiah's message. It is God's. God did not call on Israel to take revenge. He did not call on Israel and call them to arms. God promised to win the victory himself. God is sovereign and personally active in the affairs of human history. In difficult times, we tend to reaffirm that th this truth that God is in control, that he is on his throne. However, God's sovereignty is not dependent on either our submission to it or on our good or bad seasons in life. God is in control, period. He is sovereign. Whatever we go through in this life, God is in control of it, and that fact will not change. Praise be to God for this. Praise God that he is with us. And whatever the day of the Lord may bring, we can trust that God is in control and that he will keep his people in his love and in his grace. We may not know 
when the day of the Lord will jump out of the box. But we should know that God is in control of it all. For the day of the Lord is near. Now we need to understand this word near. The Bible's view of nearness is more what we would intend by the word imminent. Imminent means that the judgment is near in the sense that it could occur at any moment. It could jump out at any time, just like the jack in the box. Imminent also means threatening to occur immediately, impending. An imminent event does not necessarily occur immediately, but it could. Therefore, we must be ready for it. See, there are times when things are quiet and we don't necessarily anticipate the day of the Lord. But then there are also times when there are wars and, and rumors of wars and we wonder if God's final intervention is not just right around the corner. We become anxious. But know this, the day of the Lord is no less near in quiet times than in stormy ones. This is why Jesus exhorts us in Matthew 24 to keep watch, for we do not know when the day of the Lord will occur. This is an uh, intense watch of being in continual alertness for the day of the Lord. It is a sustained watch. One of the joy of a parent or a child waiting for a loved one to return or one of dread for those who fear what they do not know. For the day of the Lord is near, but it has not yet come. It has not yet come in order that God might show more grace to more people. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, should reach repentance. God is delaying the ultimate working out of his judgment on the nations until those whom he calls uh, to faith in Jesus do come. He has sheep that are not of this pasture who he must bring in as well so that there will be one flock with one shepherd. Today is the day of patience. Today is the day of his grace. All of this leads to our first point for today. The day of the Lord will show God's sovereignty and imminence. The day of the Lord will show God's sovereignty and imminence. We know that the clown will pop out of the box, and we know that God is in ultimate control of it all. The day of the Lord is imminent and under the control of our sovereign God. So, with that being our foundation, what will the day of the Lord look like? Well, one aspect of the day of the Lord that gets a lot of attention is judgment. What will this judgment look like? Let's finish the first phrase of verse 15. It says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. 
The day of the Lord is near upon all nations. Now, why does the book of Obadiah suddenly shift to Edom, from Edom, to all nations? Why doesn't he just stay with Edom and Edom alone? Well, Edom is not the only prideful nation. The day of the Lord will not only deal with Edom's sin, but with all nations' sin, everyone's sin. But but the day of the Lord is just for evil people and, and nations, right? But what do we have to worry about? You know, it's a, it's a naturally prideful thing to say that everyone else is in need of judgment and not ourselves. We need to understand that the day of the Lord is a fearful thing for everyone, Christ's followers included. Other prophets talk about this day. Let's do a quick survey of them. Turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. It's found on page 760 of your ESV chair Bible. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Notice the similarities with Obadiah. Both affirm that this is the day of the Lord and that it is near. Now notice the differences. It is an alarm, not only to all the nations as in Obadiah, but to the inhabitants of God's holy mountain, that is, God's people. And what are the inhabitants of God's holy mountain supposed to do on this day of darkness and gloom? Tremble. They are to tremble with fear. Let's survey another passage. Turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. It's found on page 768 of your ESV chair Bible. Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Amos 5, verse 18. It says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. See, Amos is joining Joel in saying that the day of the Lord is darkness. And, you know, Obadiah generalizes the day of the Lord to be for all nations, which implies that Israel is included. But Amos is more specific. He outright questions why Israel is looking forward to this day, because this day will be one of judgment even for them, even though they thought it would be a day of their vindication. See, they apparently longed for this day, thinking that it would mean deliverance for them and judgment for their enemies. But Amos turns the tables and maintains that they, along with the heathen nations, will be judged. Now come back to Obadiah. In Obadiah, verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. All nations will be judged. Everyone will be judged. This includes God's people. 
So if we're going to be judged, how will we be judged? The answer is present in the rest of verse 15. Look at it with me. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. How will we be judged? Justly. God is just in his judgment. All nations, meaning everyone, will be judged in a way that is appropriate to their deeds. As they have done, so it will be done to them. Justice will be a part of the day of the Lord. Everyone whose prideful and immoral behavior that has violated the holy standards of God shall face God's judgment in the same way. Their deeds will return on their own heads. Verse 15 is summed up with this statement. The day of the Lord will occur. It is imminent. It is for all nations. And it is concerned with justice. And this justice is further described in verse 16. Look at what it says. Verse 16, For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. So the drinking done on God's holy mountain is what would happen after a conquest. This is a time of celebration for the conquering nations. The drunkenness of, of conquest that took place on the day Jerusalem was overrun, in that day, Edom drank on God's holy hill. They think that they have conquered God's people, but they forget that they cannot conquer God. God levies a charge against them of drinking on his holy mountain. Now this word holy here is usually translated as an adjective into the English, describing the mountain. It is a holy mountain. But the way the Hebrew has it, it actually punctuates what God is saying. This is what, uh, we should read it like this. As you drank on my mountain, my holy one, so all the nations shall drink continually. God is pronouncing judgment for how they are celebrating their victory. Any who violate God's holiness will be punished continually. Obadiah is setting up dual clauses in here. As you have done, so it shall be done to you. As you have drank, so all nations shall drink. The sense of this verb, to drink, when it says, they shall drink and swallow, it's in the perfect tense. Now, perfect verbs are actions that have already been completed, even if in future times. There is a finality to this future action. Now, if you watch any time-traveling movie, uh, Avengers Endgame, I think, being the most recent, Back to the Future probably being the most famous, they're always going back into time to try to change something in the present or future. This verse shows that this is impossible. We cannot stop or change the judgment of God. Obadiah is showing that this cup of enjoyment of the fruits of conquest will become a cup of bitterness and divine wrath. The nations shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. 
Now, what does it mean that they shall be as though they had never been? Well, in this world, the ungodly seem to flourish, and the godly seem to be stricken. On the day of the Lord, God will bring about justice for both the godly and the ungodly. Though evil may seem to prosper, though the person or people may be well known, God will make it as though they had never been. God will bring their evil to a just end. He will bring their prosperity to a just end. And this is the common lot to all nations. Every single nation will disappear from history and be forgotten so thoroughly it will be as though they had never existed. After the day of the Lord, only one kingdom will be left, and it will be God's and God's alone. All of this adds up to our second point for today. The day of the Lord will bring just judgment. The day of the Lord will bring just judgment. The judgment of God is final and it is just. And as a result of that just judgment, all nations, meaning all people, will be utterly destroyed as though they had never been. It seems like there's not a lot of hope. Or is there? Look at Obadiah 17 with me. Obadiah 17. Three phrases make up this verse. The first says, But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape. Mount Zion is the place where God dwells. It is the place marked by holiness in verse 16. God, through Obadiah, is setting up a contrast. In the world... There will be judgment and destruction. But, the key word of this verse comes right at the beginning. But, there will be a place apart from this. A place that is different. What does this place look like? It will be occupied by those who escape. The word for escape in the Hebrew means uh, to escape or, or deliver. Escape or deliverance. The ESV translates this word to mean a group of people who have escaped. This is what the ESV says. The English, sorry, the ESV. It says, but in Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. Now this noun can also be translated to mean the concept of deliverance, as it is in the King James Version. This is what the King James Version says. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. Now, I like this translation more because it is marking Mount Zion as a place of deliverance. Obadiah is promising that the day of the Lord will mean deliverance for God's people. For Israel, this deliverance is from all earthly enemies. For Christ followers, it is deliverance from sin's power. Not just the salvation that we already have, but sin's final defeat. The second phrase of verse 17 is this. And it shall be holy. This phrase uses the same verb as the first phrase, it shall be. But it puts it in a different tense. The tense of this verb is, again, perfect. It has the same finality to that verb that we looked at earlier. 
there is no questioning or changing of the fact that Mount Zion will be a place of holiness. Not only will there be deliverance in Mount Zion, but there will also be holiness. Obadiah is looking to a great future day, a day not marked by the evil atrocities of Edom, but one of holiness, one where what is right will be right and what is evil will no longer exist. Mount Zion will be without blemish. The day of the Lord will be marked by deliverance and holiness. The last phrase of verse 17 is this, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Take a moment and just put yourself in the place of Obadiah's original audience. God's people have been conquered. Escapees have been caught and or killed. Evil is reigning and their possessions are being carried off. And God reminds you. God reminds you through the prophet Obadiah that one day, one day justice will reign. One day, instead of escapees being captured or killed, there will be deliverance. One day, instead of evil reigning, there will be holiness. And one day, instead of your possessions being taken away from them, you will possess your own possessions. The house of Jacob will possess their own possessions. They will be restored. For Christ followers, we too will possess our own possessions. We will grasp hold of an eternity with Christ. He is our greatest treasure, the object of our faith. Verse 17. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. This was depicted for us by two great artists this morning. Uh, one was Abe and one was Hudson. I really love these. Now I have to tell you the, uh, the direction I gave them. I gave them verse 17. And then I said, draw a picture of people escaping from danger and getting to safety. Okay, you need to, need to know this because look at Abe's first over here. It's the one that says Abe three times. He's drawn three people. Okay, one he's labeled mom. The top one, I think he's labeled Abe. And I'm wondering if, he, if mom is the person he's escaping from or the one that he is escape, uh, escaping to, if, he, if she's the safety. It might depend on what he's done wrong. We're going to go with that he's gone with safety, okay? And then with Hudson, Hudson's scene is like right out of Rambo, okay? You have someone hanging off a mountain shooting down. And then you have someone parachuting in over there on the left, shooting at the person hanging off the mountain. And someone's down shooting. And I think there's a howitzer over in the right-hand corner, and they're bending bullets around a person. And you have Mount Zion, which is good, and you have a house. I think that's the house of Jacob. And then up, up in the upper right-hand corner, you have a helicopter that says God on it. Now, I don't know if God is in it or if God is the helicopter, but it's just raining down terror. <laughs> So I think this is what happens before they get to the place of deliverance and, and holiness. So thank you to both of them for uh, sharing their artistic talents with us. Let's come back to Obadiah. Look again at verses 15 to 16. These verses almost make it seem 
like the day of the Lord, held no hope. But is there hope? Verse 17 shows that there is. And that is our third point for today. The day of the Lord brings hope. The day of the Lord brings hope. There is hope. There is such great hope. But this hope isn't for everyone. Judgment is for all of humanity. There is not a single one of us who will escape it. We won't escape it because we don't deserve to. We all violated God's holiness, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the hope that is detailed here is only for a select few, God's people. This then brings us to our big idea for today. Verses 15 to 17 can be summed up with this statement. The day of the Lord, on the day of the Lord, God will justly judge and deliver his people. So be deliverable. On the day of the Lord, God will justly judge and deliver his people. So be deliverable. Our first point was that the day of the Lord will show God's sovereignty and imminence. Our second point is that the day of the Lord will bring, or on the day of the Lord uh, will bring just judgment. And on the third point, the day of the Lord will bring hope. And our big idea for today is that the, on the day of the Lord, God will justly judge and deliver his people. So, be deliverable. Be deliverable. Because we know that the day of the Lord is near, because we know that God will justly judge, and because we know that God will deliver his people, because we know all of this, therefore we should respond by being deliverable. Two paths lay before you today. Be damned or be deliverable. What path will you choose? But how? How can we be deliverable? What can we do to make ourselves deliverable? Well, the problem is we can't. There is nothing that we can do to earn our right to be delivered. Only God is able to deliver us. Only God. We must lay aside our pride and humble ourselves before him. We must rely solely on him because God has gone to great sacrifice to secure our salvation entirely by himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember in verse 16 how um, all nations shall drink and swallow? That it was a cup of divine wrath? Well, this metaphor of this cup of divine wrath was carried into the New Testament. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the cup and blessed it and said, this cup has been poured out for you in the covenant, in the new covenant of my blood. This cup has been poured out for you, meaning they would not have to drink this cup of divine wrath. Jesus is pouring out the cup so that we wouldn't have to drink it. 
that we wouldn't have to drink this cup of divine wrath. He is doing it in the new covenant of his blood, not ours. But how? How is he able to do this? After the supper, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, Judas betrayed him. He brought a group of soldiers with him to arrest Jesus. And Peter whips out his sword and starts swinging it around. And Jesus tells Peter this, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is the cup of divine wrath. A cup meant for us that we would have to drink continually in the fires of hell. Only Jesus could fully drink this cup. Only he could finish it because only he was perfect. And the Father gave it to him so that he could pour it out for us. Jesus took the cup that was meant for us. He became our substitute and died in our place. It is only because Jesus drank that cup completely that it could be poured out for those who follow him. There is not a drop left for those who follow Christ. Jesus drank it all. And when every last requirement had been filled, when every last drop had been drank from the cup, he cried out, it is finished. But do you truly trust that it is finished? Do you truly trust that it is finished? Give serious thought to this question. Have you fully surrendered to God? Or do you pridefully think that you can still earn salvation? That you should just have one or two of those drops from the cup? Do not dismiss these questions. Pride wants to deceive us into thinking that we're all right. Pride wants to um, trick us into not uh, sincerely thinking about these questions. But we must. We must sit in the tension of our own failings and our own need for salvation because there, there we will meet a gracious and loving God. We will meet forgiveness. We will release our burdens of sin. Where will you be on the day of the Lord? How will you greet it? With fear? Or with hope? Will you drink the cup continually? Or has the cup been poured out for you? If you're uncertain about what's going to happen to you on the day of the Lord, I would love to talk to you come up and meet me. I'll be right down here. I would love to introduce you to our loving and gracious Father. I would love to tell you about how you can be deliverable through the love of our God. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for living a perfect life, doing what we could not, for drinking that cup completely, that you just 
are mindful of us, that you lavish love on us, that we would be called your children. Lord, help us to believe in you more and more fully. Lord, to work out our salvation, to never think we're so um, secure in it that we become complacent and, and ignore you, Lord, but we build a relationship with you because that's what you desire. You pour out the cup for us in such amazing love and grace. We are so thankful, Lord. We are humbled by your acts of mercy and compassion. Help us to grow in our love for you and in our love for each other to respond to your love to us by humbling accepting it and knowing that we can turn to you who is our gracious and loving Father. Help us to carry this news beyond this, these walls that we aren't content to just keep it inside but Lord that it would overflow that this joy of knowing you would overflow out of our lives and out of our words and that we would share it with this community. Lord, revive us. Send your Holy Spirit, Lord, to work through us. We are dependent on you. And Lord, guide us to look to the day of the Lord, knowing that we will stand before you in judgment, but that we have an assured hope that when we do, you will see Christ, you will see his righteousness and we will be delivered into a place of holiness, of deliverance and restoration. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.